Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to kind of talk through, um, when I was first coming to this topic, I think it was sort of like calling it like tips and tricks or th- tr- like things that we use, like little approaches or unusual things that we may use that um, could be useful to share. But I think as we thought about it more, it's just there's some interesting approaches that are being made possible now or things that we have done in the past that um, I don't necessarily would say are best practices, um, aren't things that I would necessarily recommend, but are things that are nevertheless that I think we found that we do in our apps that has been useful or productive um, or allowed us to do stuff that um, you know, just sort of lets us get on with things. And um, I always like kind of sharing these types of little things, not so much that they'll necessarily apply directly to you or your application, but um, they can kind of get your, you know, they can get you thinking. Or uh, later when you encounter a problem that is similar or adjacent, um, you know, you can have something in the back of your mind as maybe like, you know, here's this different approach or this alternative way to look at a problem. Um, that might be helpful. And I think the first category of these that I think is fun to talk about are things that uh, we can now do in our applications um, because the hardware has just gotten so fast um, that there is certain things that um, in the early days of iOS development where, you know, on the first, you know, the original iPhone or the 3G, 3GS, like back in those days, like there was a period of time really before the A-series chips is probably a good way to say it, like where you're the performance of your code was very um, imp- directly tied to the quality of your user experience. I mean, these are back in the days where I remember where um, like Lauren Brichter's crazy tricks for making UI table views scroll quickly in Tweety was like magic. And like that was the kind of level of things where you were really optimizing for every little thing. Uh, and that's what it took to have a well-performing, good user experience type of application. Um, but thankfully, that's not really the case now. I think for the most part, um, in most of my applications, like the baseline performance that I have to you know, deal with is an iPhone 6 um, or equivalent, um, which is surprisingly capable, which is surprisingly you know, cap- you know, able of do- to do a lot of things pretty quickly. Um, and so you know, it allows you to do stuff that um, isn't necessarily the most efficient uh, way to do it, but we'll, we'll still work just fine. We'll not really hit the user with a lot of um, delay, and but you know allow you to write code either that is very clear and straightforward uh, for you as a developer, or maybe very reliable. Um, and as an example, like so, the first one I was just going to talk about is a recent thing that I did in Pedometer Plus Plus, where I wanted to make it so that you could transfer your steps from one side, uh, one phone to another. And um, there's a lot of crazy ways you could do that. I could take the actual, you know, SQLite database and move it over and do some kind of merging thing. Instead, what I did is I just had the, um, you know, on the one on the sending device, you can just export all of the data into a giant JSON blob. I take that and compress it to its you know, reasonably small, and it because it's you know text, it compresses very very well. Um, and then I send it over to the new the other the new phone, and then on that side, I basically simulate as though that were was um, core motion data coming into my regular step management system, and it processes it and imports it into this into the system. And because it's the core mo- core motion system is already designed to make sure it doesn't duplicate data. Um, making sure that it doesn't lose data or have any weird things happen. Like that is the core of the app. I know it's reliable. And 
it's slightly inefficient. Like it's a really, you know, round tripping data through text and all these types of things that is probably not very efficient, but even on a 6S or a 6, the, you know, an import of all of the data that in my database, which is the most data that any one user could have because my database goes back to the first day the app was created. Um, it still takes like a second. And so it's fine. And it's kind of fun to just be able to like do this. And I'm now very confident that this works because it's all, it's very straightforward. It's, there's nothing clever going on. I'm not doing some crazy, you know, file encoding that I'm coming up with myself to, you know, do my own binary file, file encoding. It's just a JSON file compressed and then uncompressed and then pushed into one of the most tested part of my applications. Um, and it works and I can do it because hardware has gotten so fast. I mean, in many ways, JSON usage itself has exploded in in the world of programming, um, in part because everything is so fast. Like, you would never have a format like JSON being as dominant as it is today, even 10 years ago. Because the hardware, like, all the effort to serialize and unserialize uh, the JSON blobs would have would have been not worth it. You know, you'd have something more like what I, I I've never used protocol buffers, but I think it works more like a binary format. Um, and you have you know a few other different ways to do binary formats where like, you know, y- you don't need to be reading like a, a a text readable serialization of the data. You can like actually use binary encoding and make things way faster. Um, but these days, it's so fast to decode and encode JSON. And then gzip it for size. <laughs> like that's it's so fast to do that that you don't need anything as low level and optimized as something like a protocol buffer. Like you can just use JSON. Even even the idea of when you process large blobs of JSON, you know, old formats used to be defined um, so that you could stream process them. Like even the first XML processors, they were called SACS. Uh, processors and and like SACS libraries would basically stream the XML nodes to the processing app, so you wouldn't need to be holding an entire DOM in memory. So if you had like a large XML you know, document, you wouldn't have to hold the whole thing in memory as you're processing it. And JSON, I don't, I'm not aware of any streaming JSON processing libraries. Um, with JSON, you just decode the entire thing into memory, no matter how big it is. And you know, computers are so fast and memories are so large these days that that's rarely a problem for anybody. Uh, it's just it's one of those little luxuries that, like, you know, we are able to be far more productive uh, these days than we used to be just because we don't have, like, there are things like that that used to hit limits or be too slow. And these days, that almost never is the case. Yeah, and it's just such a lovely little thing. And it, what I love about it, too, is so many of these things that we're going to talk about, I think what I love about the most is that they make the development process it's like uh, i think it was a phrase often in the early days of rails was used there it was like developer oriented programming um where it's making it easy to pro to write a good app by making it so that it's easy to understand the the, the process and what i loved about this is like it's i you know if, if i'm as i was testing it and as i was evaluating it if at any point I want to like see what's in the you know see what's in the transfer file, well, I can open it up in a text editor and right. look at it. It, it. There's nothing there's nothing complicated about it. And anytime I you know like by making it so straightforward, um, that really just helps things go so much more quickly. Or you know even in the debugging process, like I can at any point you know as, as it's importing, I can very quickly just see exactly where we are in the giant array of step data that's coming into it and. Um, like by, by rather than trying to optimize for absolute efficiency, um, you know, it's optimizing for clarity and reliability in terms of, I'm very sure that it's 
you know, it, it's going to work because it's so simple um, that I'm reducing a lot of weird edge cases and problems that I might run into if I tried to do it in a more sophisticated or complicated way. Oh, yeah. And, and this, this applies also to a few topics we've covered before. Like, uh, I believe we talked about uh, design by programming or design by programmers uh, or design by math, which is basically like procedural image generation or, or procedural um, colors and things like that. And and the whole reason that, that you can have, like, you know, like what Overcast does is almost every icon or image in the entire app is drawn on demand. So there, there aren't a bunch of image files in the bundle. Like there's actually, they're, almost all of them are drawn up upon request by just helper functions in my appearance manager class. And, you know, the, the app requests, you know, the download icon with this number of downloads at this size with this color. And this function generates that. And, you know, in the olden days, not even that long ago, like just like in the, in the first few iPhones even, that would have been too slow. Like the app would have taken too long to launch or taken too long to go between screens because it had to draw all the icons. These days, everything is so fast that that is worth doing on every launch because it you just don't even notice it. And it saves me the work of having to manually render out images every time like there's a new phone size or something else although there is one area where that's not the case for me and that is the watch uh in and and that's actually probably not even true anymore of like the series three but like the the original series one watch was so slow that uh watch kit was based a lot on the use of static images instead of dynamic generated things or, or animations and as you know very well i'm sure and so you know, there there is one area of my app where I do generate the images uh, for the watch, and I it's a it's just a preprocessor macro that I set <laughs> for this file that's not usually included. And when I set that upon launch in the simulator, it creates a folder on my desktop full of all the images that I need, and it just calls the dynamic rendering functions that the rest of the app is using with the parameters that the watches will need and in the two sizes for the watch and and in, in the whatever resolution they need. And it, it's so funny. Like I launched this on my computer, I just you know hit this preprocessor flag, hit build and run, and at the second the app launches, this folder is on my desktop with like forty images in it. They're all done because like, it just takes so little time to do this stuff now on like especially on a desktop. Um, and but that's the only place in my app where I ever really have like static images. The rest of it is all dynamic. And uh, not only that, I also do dynamic color manipulation. And this is a little trick that I suggest. Uh, everybody do if you if you build apps this way um, the way overcast does its themes and the reason why i was able to make the the black oled theme during a single airplane flight and have it be pretty much done <laughs> is because uh, overcast uh, in my appearance manager i define a small handful of like base colors and then all the other colors that are in the theme are dynamically generated from a category that I write on UI color. And in fact, this is publicly available in my uh, FC utilities library. Um, UI color, I have these categories that basically you can, on an existing color, you can call, uh, you know, FC underscore modify HSBA, modify the hue, saturation, brightness, and alpha of any color in a, in a little simple block that you pass to the function. And the HSBA are all passed as in-out pointers, so you just call the block. It can it can have one line. It can be like you know star a equals 0.5, and then the resulting color will be whatever color you pass to it with the alpha set to 0.5. And so I I in my appearance manager on every launch of the app, or every time you change the theme, even <laughs> I have all the colors being generated dynamically based on the like three or four base colors of that theme. 
And so all the other colors are like, all right, take the base color, but set the saturation, you know, cut the saturation in half and increase the brightness by 25%, like stuff like that. That's how the entire theme is generated. So for me to make a new theme, it takes almost no effort at all, which is kind of funny since I've only ever made three. But <laughs> like it, it's it's all this work, all this dynamic generation so that I can save myself small or big amounts of work down the road. And the, it seems wasteful to do it that way on the phone, to be like rendering these colors images every on every launch of the app. But in fact, it's so fast, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, and I mean, it's it it's another thing it reminds me of is how like, I'm sure there are um, OpenGL-based gra- graphing um, libraries that exist, like for like graphing data. Um, and I'm sure they're incredibly efficient. I, I, mean, I have not really, I'm guessing at that, but I'm sure they exist. But all of, a lot of my applications involve graphing, and I just do all the graphing in core graphics, and it's fine. And like, you want to do dynamic colors? Great. You want to animate them? Sure. Like, it's core graphics itself. Like, what you're saying, like, you're generating um, sort of sort of assets, and I'm generating, you know, charts. But a lot of that stuff is still just like, yeah, it's fine. Um, and I mean, maybe from a energy consumption perspective, it's not ideal. Like, in theory, it could be using less. But it's one of these things that in practice, it doesn't seem to really... It, it's not it would it, it's it doesn't really matter in practice and it makes the process of developing and the and the usefulness of the application increase so much that like it's a it's a shortcut that i think is is justified in taking oh yeah i mean you know it's it's important to like if you're as you're as you're coming up with something or as you're faced with a problem um you know a lot of people when faced with the issue of how do i efficiently draw you know this this big image or even like like when i was doing my visualization of the frequency graphs in the overcast like play bars thing in over in an early version of overcast or even now when i do the kind of peak level metering in the pause button icon in overcast as, as things are playing it's i i tried OpenGL first because i thought for sure this is not going to be fast enough if I just use the, you know, the quartz drawing commands uh, like UI Bezier path and stuff like that. Or even then you think like maybe I shouldn't use the objective C wrapper. Maybe I should just go right to the raw C functions. And it turns out everything is so fast that it didn't matter. And I, I made the OpenGL prototype and I made the, the quartz prototype and they ran at about the same speed because quartz is really fast and optimized anyway. And the hardware is so fast that it really didn't matter. So I, I render the whole thing in quartz the whole time because it saved me the trouble of dealing with, dealing with OpenGL. It was wonderful. And, and, like, and there, was, there was also a situation where... Um, so for reading all the binary formats that I read in my apps, so Overcast, when it reads um, file data to see, like, you know, to determine whether something is uh, an MP3 or an AAC file, um, when it reads, like, the... the, the QuickTime MOV format to, to see, like, can I stream this file or not uh, without having downloaded the whole thing? Or even, like, you know, when Forecast generates ID3 or reads ID3 tags. There's a lot of processing of binary data that I do now in my apps. And you can do this by, like, raw C functions, uh, and it can be really fast. But you're going to have a lot of bugs, a lot of crashes, and potential security problems if you do that with, like, with, you know, with C functions. I mean, almost every like security bug that's found in like file format parsing or things like that. Like if, Oh, you pass a bad JPEG to this library and you get root access or whatever. Like that's almost all because of mistakes in low level C code. Um, and so today we have hardware that is just so fast and the objective C libraries that are just so good that I, I wrote my own entire class for parsing and writing small binary data formats like that, that uses NS data blobs for everything. 
and it's ridiculously inefficient because it's like I'm using Objective C primitives and Objective C types and and arrays and NS datas and NS dictionaries and stuff, and you know, like so like to read a byte, I'm calling an Objective C method that reads like a one byte NS data blob converts it back to an integer or whatever and then advances the pointer by one and creates a new NS data or whatever like it's completely inefficient in like raw low-level programming terms but it allows me to read and parse and write binary formats which is something that's traditionally been sort of hard to do in a really easy way with very little of my time and in a way that's almost completely bug-free at for like low-level memory bugs like I can't overrun a buffer I can't like try to read a void point like a, a pointer that's past where it should be or anything like I can't do that because it's using just C primitives instead of, instead of raw C calls everywhere and it's just really nice and you know what it's fast enough it doesn't matter at all like the 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 ways I'm using this and the hardware I'm running this on it's so fast that I can do it in this inefficient way using these like relatively high level uh, objects and and APIs because that saves me time. And it doesn't really matter what the computer is doing under it because it's so fast the computer barely even notices. Yeah, and it's lovely too that it's, I think, I will say that I have noticed that over the last few years, I have less problems with things like with crashing bugs and, and you know, weird esoteric um, like application errors and problems. And I think in many ways, a lot, I think there is a correlation between a increase in performance and so a a less of a requirement to drop down you know levels of abstraction to squeeze out every inch of performance that instead I'm able to work at a higher level of abstraction where the problems are easier to understand and the types of problems I'm going to run into are you know are are more conceptual rather than technical and I think it's definitely helped that you know most of my applications now are you know like 99.9% crash free like if I look at my stats and overall i'm sure most users care way more about that and that's a much better impact um, on their on their overall use of the application uh, you know than trying to squeeze every ounce of performance out we are sponsored this week by freshbooks to all the freelancers out there you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business our friends at freshbooks can save you hundreds of hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers it is ridiculously easy to use By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. FreshBooks does amazing smart things to help you save time. So for instance, they automate late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing down payments and more time doing your actual work. And when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to the guessing games and the awkward conversations. And they have all sorts of new features, like a new projects feature to share messages and files with your clients. Uh, And there's so much more with FreshBooks. Check it out today. If you are listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash radar and enter under the radar in the how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show. So another kind of uh, like trick or thing that we can do in our application are the kinds of little uh, like tricks we can use because most users uh, you know won't notice or care about um, a change and like an example of this I can think of is in the early versions of Pedometer Plus Plus, I uh, had a tip jar where you know users could you know give you know voluntary donations I guess to me uh, for for using the application. 
And I structured that as a consumable in-app purchase because I wanted to allow uh, people to uh, you know, make multiple tips if they were so, you know, so chose. Um, but the awkward thing about that is the there's no way to restore a in-app purchase that is consumable. Like that's just in the concept of the of the in-app purchase system, you can restore and kind of get a you know get a receipt and a transcript of all the pre, you know users past past uh, purchases if they're non-consumable. But if they're consumable, they don't come back and you know when they get a new phone and they uh, and they set it up. You there's no way to know that they did it, um, and. Now created kind of it's a slightly awkward situation. You know, someone who has chosen to give me money, I want to give them the best situation. And um, so this is slightly different now in the application because of some changes that around what Apple required. But um, in the old version of the app, there was a button that said "Restore Past Purchase," and when you push that button, it just assumed that you had previously made a purchase and unlocked the or you know, removed the ads from the application and said thank you. It didn't actually do anything. <laughs> There was no validation. There was no check. It just, if you push, if you, if you were as a user thought to push that button, it removed the ads and assumed that you had made a purchase. Um, and it was like that for a couple of years and it was never That's a problem. Amazing. <laughs> and like, you know, every now and then I'd have someone who's, you know, you know, writes in a support email and asks about, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I purchased before. What do I do is I would just push the button and it'll, it'll come back. Um, and honestly, not even that, that many people would ask that now, but it's one of these things of I made the choice that there's it's possible that at some point someone may push the button who didn't actually buy anything. That's that certainly is a possibility, but the reality is most people aren't going to notice or care. Um, and it's way it's a way better in this situation to just say that you know more likely than not it's going to be fine, and I'm going to end up way better by making the, my best customers, the people who. Um, who have chosen to give me money happier is way better for me um, than to do it the other way around. Um, now it's slightly more complicated because Apple had a change to, had a policy change where uh, things like tip jars had to not use consumable in-app purchase. And so now I have a, or at least not initially. And so now I have this two-phase thing where your first purchase is a non-consumable in-app purchase that I can then restore um, and then your subsequent ones are consumable, but that doesn't matter because I still know you have one, but it's just, it, I didn't, initially I didn't want to make that complexity. So I didn't, and it was fine. And <laughs> awesome. you know, for years it was great. And so, you know, as a little, it's, it's like one of these little tips and tricks where you can kind of look at it and say, do I really care about the, like the small chance of this being problematic versus the big chance of this being beneficial? Because most of you people just won't notice or care. Oh yeah, like like in the Overcast app, um, the iPad app is is pretty hard to lay out because I have a lot of code sharing with the with the iPhone app, and iPad has way different aspect ratios for different things. Um, one of the one of the problems is I really couldn't figure out a way to lay out the ad in Overcast on the now playing screen on the iPad, so I just don't show the ads on the iPad because it's only like six percent of my user base, and I decided losing six percent of ad views is worth the benefit of not having to write a ton more code on this right now um, because that like it just it wasn't going to be worth it for me um, you know it's it, it, you, like when when money's involved it's a little hard to like to do things like what you're saying or like what I or like my not showing my ads here but you, you always have to think about like how much of my time is this actually worth for for like what is the actual risk or loss of not doing it here yeah and it's it's. It, the, the, I mean, certainly, it's. It's. We have the the wonderful situation of being like completely in control of these choices that we make, and we can decide that if we kind of want to just bypass this complexity 
and take a shortcut because like if, basically if the user it's like it's if these types of change of tweaks or tricks are just like is a user going to complain is, you know is like i don't i doubt they are like i doubt your ipad user is going to say like where's my ads i want my right. ads like if anything they're just not going to notice um i mean there's always ways too that you can kind of similarly like little tricks that i use that are maybe more positive um in a similar kind of vein where like i always love keeping a kind of I keep a vague metric of how much someone has used uh, an application. And I tend to just like store this in a user defaults value that, um, you know, I increment over time or something like that to try and allow me to, you know, change things in the application based on if they use it a lot. So like, for example, um, the first time you ever launch a lot of my apps, if they have ads, the ads won't launch, won't show the first time. Um, Because I, there's a, there's some weird complexities around that for like, it's it's you never you know if if the app isn't working correctly you know say like they in a lot of my apps require user users to give permissions like i need to get access to your motion data or your health data um and the app will kind of be in some ways be kind of broken if you haven't given it permission if that you know when the app first launches and it asks you if you say no the app is in kind of this weird it's not broken but it won't really work correctly and I don't really like the thought of like having these kind of these error messages and things saying, hey, you need to go to this place and, you know, turn on all these permissions. And at the bottom, I'm showing an ad like I don't like the feel of that. Um, and so it's like, well, I'm just not going to show the ad until I'm pretty confident that the app is working and, you know, is creating an experience that you're going to want to come back to. Um, I mean, or even more similarly, like a little trick that I use in Pedometer is um, as soon as you have used it enough that you have more than enough data that it will fit more than just a one screen of data um i slightly wiggle the bar graph to show that it moves Mm -hmm. to encourage you (laughs) to scroll and then the first time you scroll and see past data um you know i'm I'm, again i mark this little like total use thing to say that now they've used that so you know stop wiggling the bars but um it that kind of these little tricks to just try and make the app gradually get better and better um for for people as they go yeah and there's there's all sorts of things you can do like that just people might not notice or care about um like for instance if you have an annual subscription you don't have to actually write the code that tells people their subscription is going to expire for a year after you launch it yeah <laughs> like, things like that like and you know like and there's a couple of shortcuts that i've also taken where it's kind of like let me see if i can get away with something like by basically like let me try it and see if no one complains so one of the more recent examples of this is Overcast basically does not support rotation on the iPhone 10. There's a couple of bugs that will occasionally let it happen, but it shouldn't be happening. For most people, it's not happening. On the iPhone 10, I rewriting the all the view controllers and everything to support all the inset uh, edges and stuff was such a big job that I decided, you know what, let me just launch my iPhone 10 update with rotation disabled only on the 10, and I'll see if, I'll see how many people complain. And it's been almost none. Almost no one has complained. And so I think I'm going to actually just disable rotation on the 10 permanently because it's, again, it's a lot of work to do and then to maintain. And also the rotation is really buggy on iOS 11 um, and just in general. So like that's a lot of stuff that I would have to do for right now by not doing it. No one seems to care. So I'm probably just going to not do it. Yeah, and I think what's great about that is it's an example of these things where I feel like it's so easy, you know, when you're developing something to imagine all of the possibilities and the situations that people may want. 
all of the things that they could potentially think about or may, might possibly desire. Um, and you can imagine all these scenarios and you can kind of build them up in your, in your mind to, you know, to be bigger than they actually are in practice. And I've had you know, a similar kind of thing where it, people often don't notice or don't care um, about some of the things that you think they might. And so building, you know, ahead of time, some of those things doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and then also it's understanding that people, it's like, if people do, it's like, if, if you build all these things ahead of time, if you, you know, if you, in in this case, like if you did all the crazy work on rotation, it's like, you don't actually, you may not actually get it, you know, garner any better, more goodwill if a most users don't see it and b the users who do see it will just assume that of course it, it's there it's there for sure whereas the opposite in a weird way is if you d- didn't launch with rotation on the iphone 10 and you get lots of people who ask for it and then you add it in a weird way you actually come out ahead because then suddenly you just gave them something they want um which is in a way it's like it's a funny way it's a, it's a funny way to structure it but you'll actually potentially engender more goodwill by <laughs> um limiting it initially and then uh subsequently fixing it and like that's a dangerous game to play but it certainly is a game that you can play and sometimes win uh, as a result <laughs> that's awesome all right well thanks for listening everybody and we'll talk to you next week bye